0: at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Stephen Brannon. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. There are many ways that we talk about our salvation in Christ, many ways we describe what He's done for us. The New Testament writers use a variety of metaphors to describe it. Since the 16th century, however, the most popular metaphor among Protestants has been that of um, redemption, of Christ paying a price to redeem or to free us from something. Now, the problem with this metaphor, of course, is that given that it's borrowed from the context of uh, the human slave trade, of slavery, to redeem or to buy someone out of slavery, someone or something, the slaveholder, Has to get paid. So if our sins are being paid for by Jesus, who's getting paid? You see where I'm going with this. The unfortunate answer some Christians have reached is that God the Father is the one getting paid. Either uh, we, through our sin, have somehow offended the honor and dignity of the Father, and thus the innocent death of Jesus somehow placates his wrath, or through our sin, we racked up a massive debt uh, of, of what? currency, I'm not sure, to the Father, and only Jesus had enough of whatever that currency was to pay him back on our account. Now, given that both of these theories pit Jesus against the Father in some way, uh, one in that Jesus or the Father punishes Jesus instead of us, and the other that Jesus takes on a debt and has to pay the Father, we reject both of these because God the Father and the Son are always united in will and action and purpose. They cannot either economically or ontologically be separated or put in any kind of adversarial relationship. But even the Orthodox early fathers of the church acknowledged and used the metaphor of redemption uh, when speaking about the work of Christ, because it's there in in the New Testament. So what was their answer? Their answer, overwhelmingly, was that we were enslaved not to uh, a debt to God, but rather to sin and to death. And how did Jesus ransom us from that? Well, since the wages of sin is death, as St. Paul tells us, when we sin, we owe the reality of death our very lives. So we sin, and then we owe death. We have to die. Death follows sin. That's the economy of sin and death. But when Jesus, who was without sin, entered death, he set us free, not by paying death anything, As St. John Chrysostom colorfully put it in his Paschal homily, death grasped for a corpse and it met God. Death thought it was getting paid, but it got something it didn't bargain for. Instead, when Jesus died, when he submitted himself to death willingly, he wrecked the whole economy of sin and death. He nullified the currency. So we're no longer slaves uh, to sin and death, not because it was paid off, but rather because the slave economy no longer exists. Christ tore it apart. But that's about as far as that metaphor will take us. And there's a reason uh, it's only one of several ways of speaking about the salvific work of Christ, particularly on this occasion, because it has nothing to say to us on this feast of the Ascension. If the redemption metaphor is the only way you have to think about Christ's work, then by the time of the Ascension, 40 days after the resurrection of Christ, it has exhausted what it has to say to us. By this point, Jesus' work is already done. And so I guess he just returns to his Father because there's nothing left to do. The ascension is just an incidental historical event that has no meaning. But throughout the history of the Orthodox Church, our salvation in Christ has been more often described in a much more useful and expansive way. Healing. And with this language... Uh, We understand that the Ascension is not just an incidental historical event, but it's an important theological reality, yet another work of Christ for our salvation. Gregory of Nancienzas in the 4th century expressed it this way, whatever Christ has not assumed, he has not healed. This is the way that the fathers generally speak about Christ's salvific work for us. Christ does things to heal us. Well, Why did we need healing? Because sin in addition to sort of talking about it as an as a act that requires some kind of a payment, it also is uh, a harm done to us. Sin actually affects us negatively, both in body and in spirit. So when we sin, we need to be healed. And so the healing metaphor uh, is much more useful uh, in speaking about salvation. Actually, that's what salvation, sozo in Greek Primarily means is healing. So the fathers of the church talk about Christ healing us. And how does Christ heal us? Well, as Gregory Nazianzus put it, he took on our nature. He took on or assumed our nature. So if there's anything that Christ didn't assume in our nature, that doesn't get healed. So in order for us to be fully healed, Christ has to assume all of our nature. And this starts at the very beginning of the incarnation, at the feast of the Annunciation. We celebrate this as, uh, we celebrate it nine months before Christmas, the birth of Christ obviously, um, because that's when we mark the conception of Christ in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. This is actually the beginning of the Incarnation, not Christmas, but the Annunciation. Um, as an aside, this is also one of the reasons that the Orthodox Church has always uh, acknowledged the unborn children as as fully human and deserving of um, the dignity of of all humanity, uh, because we recognize in the scriptures they show us that uh, Christ, as a human being, God as a human being, comes into this world in his conception uh, at the at the feast of the Annunciation. So Christ takes on our nature, starting at the smallest level when we do, as, as a as a little zygote, as a little multiplying you know uh, feature in the womb of Mary. The the uh, grows and grows and grows and becomes an infant ready for birth and then he comes into the world and that's what we celebrate at Christmas. The world finally sees him but the world doesn't recognize how special he is except for a few people like um, the wise men, the magi, um, and at uh, the feast of what well, we call it epiphany uh, in the West, a revealing of who Jesus is as someone monumentally special. And so <clears throat> Jesus throughout His life as a human, beginning as a baby in the womb, takes on everything that makes us human so that he can redeem it. And this goes all the way to death, to natural human death, because we all experience death. And so if death isn't assumed by Christ, our death can't be healed. But Christ, being sinless, goes into death on purpose, and he transforms it. He, in essence, heals our very death. That's why he didn't abolish death. He healed the process. So we still die, but it's not a death of defeat. It's not a death because of sin. It's a death that now has a new meaning in Christ. We follow Christ willingly as Christians into death in order to triumph with him in the resurrection. Because Christ, in addition to taking our human nature all the way to the grave, then raised it up again. He's done something more for us than uh, just healing us. He has Given us a new kind of nature. But then the work isn't finished. Forty days after he gives us a new kind of nature, he makes it uh, capable of bearing a new kind of life. He does something else with it. And that's what we celebrate today on the feast of the ascension of Christ. This is something that a lot of times we overlook and we don't think about. We celebrate, rightly so, the, the reality of Christ redeeming our nature from the grasp of death in the resurrection. But what Christ does with our nature next is even more remarkable. He ascends with our nature into heaven. He takes our human nature, our flesh and blood, redeemed from death. But he takes our nature to the highest reality, the throne of the Father. He takes it from the bottom of reality, almost near non-existence, total uh, near separation from God in the in the darkness of Hades, of hell, places where we exiled ourselves. He goes all the way to the depth of reality to rescue us. Then, uh, like a strong man getting beneath us, he lifts our nature back up and resurrects it. And then he carries our nature into heaven to the throne of God. The highest reality of existence. He takes our nature from almost non-existence to existence as such. Pope St. Leo the Great put it this way. And truly great and unspeakable was their cause for joy when in the sign of the holy multitude, above the dignity of all heavenly creatures, the nature of mankind went up to pass above the angels' ranks and to rise above the archangels' heights and to have its uplifting limited by no elevation until received to sit with the Eternal Father, it should be associated on the throne with His glory, to whose nature it was united in the Son. St. Ephraim the Syrian said this, Brethren and fathers, a feast of feasts, the assumption or the ascension of our Savior Jesus Christ is at our doors, and a great and supernatural mystery for our nature is being taken up beyond heaven, as it is written, By grace you have been saved, and He has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places with Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God. Saint Ephraim also said, Do you see then to what height of glory human nature has been raised? Is it not from earth to heaven? Is it not from corruption to incorruption? How hard. Would not someone toil in order to become intimate friends of a corruptible king or leader here below? But we, although we were alienated and hostile in our intent by evil deeds, have not only been reconciled to God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, but have also soared aloft to sonship. And now our nature is worshipped in the heavens by every creature seen and unseen. This is beyond healing. This is beyond mere... uh, redemption and, and, and being brought back to a place that we might have been primordially back in, in paradise in the Garden of Eden. As the, as the fathers say, we're being raised above paradise. You know, this, our nature is now capable not only of returning past the, the, uh, the angel wielding the sword of paradise. That happened, that happened on Good Friday. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. The thief on the cross He made it past the angel at the gate of the doors of the Garden of Eden. He makes it to paradise. But he had not risen yet to the height of the throne of the Father because Jesus hadn't taken our nature there yet. But on the Feast of Ascension, he takes our nature there. And now, not only is the gate of paradise open, but the very height of paradise is open to us. A lot of the church fathers, including St. Ephraim, conceived of paradise as a mountain with slopes. And so the gate is actually at the bottom, but the slopes of paradise take us closer and closer to God. And if you really think about the nature of God's infinity, uh, his infinite glory and goodness, um, we could conceive of those slopes never ending, but always rising toward the, the limit, the eternal, paradoxically eternal limit of God's glory. That's where Jesus has taken our nature and that's what we are capable of now. This is a transformation and a radical exaltation of our nature. This is something that we had never attained, even uh, way back with Adam and Eve, when when we could have potentially lived forever if we had not screwed up. Even they weren't to this glory yet, because it took God putting on our flesh, taking it through death into a new life, and then to the heights of heaven to get us to that kind of exaltation. This is why in the Psalms, uh, we are prophetically said to be God's, It's why we are to judge angels, as St. Paul mentions in one of his letters. It's why we can become partakers of the divine nature, as St. Peter says. It's why God became man, St. Athanasius tells us, so that man may become God. Not by nature, of course, but by the adoption that's not artificial, but to ontological sonship. We become adopted sons together with Christ, who is the uh, Son from all eternity of the Father. And so the throne of God is where we co-heirs of Christ rightly will sit. If That's what we're called to. And so here and now, uh, before our resurrection, when our bodies are raised to that height, we need to currently be raising our minds and our hearts to that height too. We need to already be set in that direction in order that when our death and resurrection finally occur, uh, that's where our hearts are already pointed. Saint Romanus tells us he led them to the mountain in order that when they had their minds and sensibilities set on that height, they might forget all lowly things. In other words, Jesus took them there in order to witness His ascension, so that they knew this isn't any longer the Jesus who had walked with us and ate with us. This is that's not that time is past. There's no more eating. And, and walking with Jesus on the beach. Jesus is now exalted. This is where he wanted their hearts to be set from now on, not to look for him anymore like they had for 40 days. I wonder when he'll show up again. Even on this day, they're asking, Lord, is it now the time to, to make you know, uh, restore the kingdom to Israel? They didn't understand what all this was about. The ascension demonstrated what it was about. This is about a whole new level of glory, and exaltation. This isn't about earthly kingdoms anymore. This is about the eternal kingdom of God. This is about your hearts, minds, souls, and bodies being taken up to the very source of your life and existence. When the angels uh, appeared and probably scared the disciples as they're still gazing up into the sky, wondering what in the world everything is about, they say, why are you still standing here looking up? Don't you know that this means everything is changing? They they have to send the disciples on their way, send the apostles uh, off to Jerusalem to wait for the Holy Spirit because this is a new mission. It's entirely new. It's why when uh, Mary Magdalene in the Garden of Eden after Jesus' resurrection sees him, initially thinking he's the gardener and then realizes who he is, she falls at his feet and she's trying to hold on to him and he says, don't hold on to me because I haven't returned to my father yet. What he's saying is, Don't relate to me like this anymore. I know we've hugged before, and we've shared this uh, intimate friendship, and, and you've walked with me a lot of miles, and you've had meals with me, and this has been a good thing, but this is now over. You have to relate to me in a new way. Don't hold on to me because I haven't returned to my Father. This flesh, this is a new thing now. When I return to my Father, that's when you should look to hold on to me because that's What I am bringing you to, what we had before, it was for a time. But now, the time is new. There's a new season at hand, and it's for something new. Since then, says St. Leo, the Pope of Rome, Christ's ascension is our uplifting, and the hope of the body is raised. Whither the glory of the head has gone, let us exalt, dearly beloved, with worthy joy and delight in the loyal paying of thanks. He's saying, because Christ has gone there, let us raise our minds and our thanks to that direction too. For today, not only are we confirmed as possessors of paradise, we not only make it through the gate of paradise again to which we had been barred, but have also in Christ penetrated the heights of heaven and have gained still greater things through Christ's unspeakable grace than we had lost through the devil's malice. Not only have we been restored to where we were before, we've been brought to infinitely beyond that. This is the new reality that we have to deal with. So this is, as Christians, really the the final thing that we should think of in the incarnation. What has Christ done for us? Well, He took on our flesh. He redeemed it by going through all that our flesh goes through. Weariness, hunger, pain, death. But then He redeemed us from death. He saved us from that. And now... Wonder of wonders, maybe the greatest thing of all, he's raised our nature to be able to commune with God himself. He hasn't just made us friends with God, he's made us sons of God. This is huge. This is what should animate us as Christians and give us perspective as we go about our lives in the world. Our lives are made for communion with God. That is our destination and our destiny. It's not just to live moral lives. It's not just to have some hope of not burning in hell or, uh, from the atheist, not ceasing to exist. Those are very low standards of of expectation and hope. As Christians, we have a much greater hope. And so, as the the collect for the day puts it, echoing, almost, the words of St. Leo and extorting us to lifting our hearts and minds... To the throne of God before our bodies are lifted there. The Collect for the Day says, Grant, we beseech the Almighty God, that like as we do believe thy only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who have ascended into the heavens, so we may also in heart and mind thither ascend and with him continually dwell. That's our prayer. That's what we should take away from this. Christ is risen. Christ is ascended. We've celebrated the fact of the resurrection and we know that we have that hope as well. But almost more than that, we have the hope of dwelling forever with God where he is, taking our place on the throne of God at his right hand. We can't comprehend that, but we know it's 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 the reality because the disciples watched it happen. They watched the man Jesus Christ with our nature being taken up into heaven and being seated at the right hand of the Father. I pray that as we begin this uh, period of waiting and prayer, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come and fill us, uh, which again the Father say is only possible now that our nature has been taken up so high. We weren't capable of bearing the Holy Spirit before until Christ ascended into heaven. But now because he's done this, he's finished the work of not only redeeming, but of exalting our humanity, now we are capable of bearing the Holy Spirit in his presence. So as we uh, pray for a renewal of the Holy Spirit and, and look forward to celebrating Pentecost, our prayers, our minds should be dwelling on the throne of God, where Christ sits with our humanity now, not absent, as he promises, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Christ isn't absent, but Christ is ascended. This is the good news, the final good news of the gospel. This is the height of the reality of Christ's work for us. This is what we celebrate today on the Feast of the Ascension. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and Reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox Mission in Atlanta, Georgia.